You guys want to meet an Australian, Jamaican, Costa Rican bookmaker? Oh yeah, this is my guest from the NFT and VFriends community. My buddy Adam Bjorn is joining us today. How you doing, Adam? I'm doing good, Benny. How are you doing? This is good. This is going to be like one of the, my probably most interesting podcasts ever because you're not the typical guest. You know, most of my entrepreneur buddies have different backgrounds and different industries. Right. This is not bookkeeping and betting and um, you know being a you know being a worldwide bookmaker is not something I get to talk about uh, very often. Yep. And you've been doing this for thirty years, right? Uh, yeah, uh, pretty much betting since I was a teenager, betting horses, uh, and then went straight into the bookmaking business, uh, working for a place in Australia, straight out of high school. I was eighteen when I first started. It's all horses over there. Majority is horses. It's a culture of horses. You grow up with horses, like you guys are NFL. Uh -huh. I mean, we have our footballs, Aussie rules, rugby, depending on which state you're in. Um, uh -huh. But the horse racing, like the UK, England, stuff like that. It's it's the culture you grow it up and you were getting first Tuesday in November you got off school because of the Melbourne Cup um, so again it was you know you grow up with it I remember you know we grew up with the NFL I remember taking uh, I remember when I was like seventh grade I, I put I, I got all the kids in my school um, for this for the March Madness basketball tournament I charged everybody two dollars and I, and, I, and I just did a draw. I put all the 64 names in a hat, and for two bucks, they could pull a name. Whoever won um, got like 100 bucks. I kept 28 bucks. There you go. I remember, I remember doing that when I was like in sixth or seventh grade. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I was like, you know what? Everyone's going to pay two bucks. It's going to be random. They're going to pull a name, and I'm just going to wait till the end and just give someone $100, and I'll make 28 bucks. And that, I remember yeah, that's, that's bookmaking, right? <laughs> but like in America though, back then, like you know, it was very like you know, only Tony Soprano and the Mafia, right? Like did that or Vegas, Las Vegas. What was it like growing up in Australia with horse racing? And I feel like horse racing over here, it's very like dead. Like horse racing is not considered like you know evil or bad, or it wasn't back in the day. Right. You know, it was just kind of like one of those things that degenerates did. They went and smoked cigarettes and you know smoked cigars and hung out at the track and scratched their took took their paper and like <laughs> screwed around and like you know had pencils behind their ears and things like that. And it was always like dark, smoky, dingy place horse racing. And like so, nobody really went. It wasn't for the average person. It was for like that degenerate old right, man, right? right. What was it like in Australia? Well, again, Australia was much more accepted. I mean, you know, there was OTBs, off-track betting, but again, when you saw them there versus, you know, US and even in Jamaica, it was just a different level. And then a lot of the uh, OTBs were in pubs. So, again, it was just depending in which pub it was in. Um, and then at the track, you had bookies. Like, that's, that's the thing that in the US, you, you don't have that at the racetrack. But when you go to the racetrack in Australia, you have anywhere from two to three to 30 people standing up taking independent guys just, just out there like making their yeah, own lines. so they have again they have their boards um same in the uk and they have their boards and that's their job as they go to the races you know every day of the week and they they take bets from the people at the track and it was just was it is it regulated do they have to have a license yes of do course they have to, like, yeah go i mean they've had you know it's been around for a very very long time regulated license um and then you had the OTB as well. You had the tab where the, you know, they take out their percentage and things like that. So then you had choices. So you could either go and bet with the bookie with the fixed odds or you could bet at the track with the tote. But then obviously the tote as well, you have your exactors, your trifectas, your 
pick sixes and that parimutuel wagering man's for the birds. I don't know if anybody really. Most of my listeners probably have no <laughs> idea what parimutuel wagering is, but that is like horse trading, like where the, there's a pie. And they like take a big chunk out of it, and there's no chance you can win. Like it's, right. it's like the, all that money goes to the to, to the to the to the to the. the so house. generally, they're taking out anywhere from fifteen, seventeen percent up to forty percent of every dollar, and then the rest of the people in the pool are sharing the money. So they're right. They're yeah, which is yeah. like yeah, you can't win. Right. So they're running a game. They're taking the stake out, and then everybody that's in it is just betting against each other and sharing. You know, sixty-five percent of each other's money and giving thirty-five percent to the house. Yeah, we had like a, I don't know if you're familiar in America. We had like these little army navy clubs and all these little like um, clubs where these old guys hang out, like these little bars, and they'll have like these tickets and they'll pull these tickets and it's like that. Like they'll have like you know there'll be a thousand dollars worth of tickets and they only pay out six hundred dollars worth of right. winners and like the bar makes four hundred bucks. Yes, yes. There you go. Similar. <laughs> Yeah, but people keep going back, like, time and time again. Like, because, again, like, they like it. It's fun, right? How did you get into it as, like, when do you remember getting into this? Is like, how old um, So, again, I remember Melbourne Cup days doing sweeps, similar thing where you said with the March Madness, you know, you whatever it is, 12, 24 horses, they put in a bucket, you pay 20 cents, a dollar, whatever each, and you pull them out, and then that's the sweep. Uh, and then I started to learn how to fill out tickets and you know my mum or dad would put them through the machines at the OTB um, and then you know I remember teenage years I'd do the form on the Friday get the bets placed on Saturday morning go and play Aussie rules football and then sort of sit in the car and listen to the races while the you know senior matches were going on and then sports betting was again in one state uh, when I sort of come of age and it just started in a second state where I uh, lived, and again, uh, George Foreman, Michael Moore was my first sports betting bet, and I was on George Foreman, uh, you know, but it was eight to one or something like this, and then I backed him by KO, um, and then again, I was just waiting for the, you know, no internet or anything back then, so I had the teletext on the TV, so I'm waiting for the results to come in, you know, overnight, and obviously the I was 94, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's how I turned 18 in September 94, and the fight was in October, November. Um, and that was my... Yeah, I was much younger. I was like 13. I think you're about five years older than me. Okay. But I remember that fight. I didn't bet on it because I didn't know that you could even bet on that back right. then. Right. You know? I'm sure that you, you know, I didn't have those kind of connections. My mom and dad weren't letting me go to the track and, like, play some bets for me. <laughs> so, like, that must have just been, like, a common thing, like, right? Like, your parents were, like, well, oh, like, they were yes, into that? Yes, well, so my dad owned, was partners with, like, trotting horses, harness racing, uh, and again, oh, harness yeah. racing! We got a harness track over here in Washington, PA. The Meadows. right, okay. So I remember we were going to the track at nights, and again, I'd give mum the two dollars or whatever to go bet with the bookies, and you know, I, again, I was just doing the form, had some idea of the math, um, then started to learn about the trainers, the horses, and different things like that, and you, you get entrenched in it and spend lots of hours reading the form and whatnot. And then, yeah. and then after finishing high school, I moved. So I was so in the, for example, and the best way to do it is kind of I lived in Miami, sort of area. Which, if you Australia is really the U.S. turned upside down. So Boston is Melbourne, Miami is Brisbane, San Diego is Perth, kind of thing. And it's the same size, somewhat of landmass. So I lived in the south where it was cooler, 
bit like Boston weather again, turning it upside down. And then, so in the winter, you'd play football Aussie rules in the south, and then I found out that you could go and play Aussie rules in the north in the summer. So literally, I could go and play sport 24, uh, 12 months of the year. So when I found that out, I went first up as a 17-year-old uh, to play. And again, it was, you know, 6-3. I don't know how far it is, but it's three, 4,000 miles, the other end of the country, literally. Um, just yeah. called up somebody, you know, uh, found my way up there, played for two or three months, and then went back to uh, home, did year 12. And the day after my last exam was, that was it, I was in the car and heading back to Darwin. Um, now, when you say play, do you mean like actually play the sport itself or battle? No, play the sport. So pretty much from... Okay, yeah. I, was, I, I just want to double check because we're talking about, you know, we're talking about sports. And I'm thinking like, are you a professional gambler in high school? No, 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 like, no. I was like, where are you getting the money from? I'm thinking like, all right, like, you know, I'm just trying to... Under- what your mom and dad do for a living? Uh, mom was a nurse. Dad was a mechanic. And, and they okay, had, so just average, regular yep. people, just like grinding it out. So they would go to like it was all just fun going to the track. Like it was Correct. just entertainment purposes yep. only. It wasn't like they were. And, and to go to the track again for us, it was a two, three-hour drive to Melbourne. You know, we lived uh, southern Victoria. So it was an experience. So it was, you'd go up, you'd have dinner, you'd go to the races, and then you get home at sort of three or four in the morning because uh, again the trots were at night oh, so, so it was like a you you, you wore yourself huh? yeah. yeah okay that makes that makes more sense we would never do that here <laughs> in the united states like if we got to drive an hour man like we're like we're, but you know back in the day though uh, the sports i think horse racing is probably the only place that you could like go somewhere local um and bet you know i guess if that you know and i think that it was more a lot of the horse places around here though a lot of them were sketchy but then there were yeah. some there were some that were like more like you know you could take like the women into right. and like they wouldn't like you know like they wouldn't like just pass out right but, yeah like, no you know not everything was not everything was like the Kentucky Derby right right <laughs> no and again some of them again though were you know family environments where you'd see other kids running around and stuff like that obviously they yeah. weren't there with and I'm my... sure Australia was much different because again yeah. it's culture accepted it's been around for a very very long time um, so yeah so you know that sort of led to that and then when I went back to Darwin the second year and then I think it was the January or February, I saw um, jobs in the paper and, uh, you know, said junior ticket rider, sports betting company, which I sort of knew who they were and whatnot, um, applied and got the job and, you know, that's sort of the beginning of it all. Straight out of just curiosity and just being interested in it, like as like a as a kid, like did you want to like be, did you want to have a real job when you grew up? Like did you want to be like a doctor or a lawyer? Or a- so... Anything like that? I mean, I got into a couple of universities uh, in different parts of the country. Uh, I think one was sort of architecture. The other one was like business administrator. Um, I almost did pack up and go back to a job that was a business administrator with this football team that I grew up supporting from, you know, four, five, six years old. Um, So I, I almost did make the choice of, of going because I got like an internship and I could have went back and started that and I just ended up staying with what I where I stayed in Darwin and, and that was you know thankfully I made that choice but then again who knows where I would have ended up or what I would have been doing so like you know and again it's fun to talk to you just because you live in a totally different you know grew up in Australia which is a totally the opposite side of the world 
from me and like you know that's not like a thing that like that's not like a profession that anybody like grows up thinking like you know unless you're in the mafia right like you know like that's that's what we that's what we were taught like you know like the mafia they're the ones that write you know sports bets right yeah you can go to this place called las vegas where there's like a, a guy in a cage and it's more like a bank yep. but you know sports betting was tony soprano right like you know that was you know or the godfather type people or you know and um so that's just such an interesting culture. Like, like there was an ad in the paper that said, you know, be a ticket writer. Yeah, which was kind of the funny thing of when I did get to this side of the world uh, and learnt about all that, I was like, you know, this is insane. Like, why aren't all the states taxing it? And at the time it was, uh, again, it was post 9-11. So there was a lot of, you know, the war and everything else. And I was just thinking, like, you know, I would make comments. Why don't they just open it up, tax it, and they can pay for the war kind of thing? Um, they just... It was just uh, completely far... Because it was controlled by the mob, that's why. (laughs) (laughs) Completely foreign to me that it it just wasn't readily available because, again, you know, uh, it was in Australia. Again, it was in a couple of states when I started and then it sort of spread across the whole nation. Um, I lived in a little island uh, called Vanuatu shortly, uh, briefly, uh, which was kind of the offshore of Australia where there was a couple of books there. you know, England, Ireland, you know, it was very much open there. Um, then I ended up spending a few months in India and sort of seeing how they do it. Um, and then I sort of, you know, got this side, which after the 2000 Olympics, which I attended in Sydney, um, I was just sitting there one night and thought, what am I going to do? You know, where am I going to go? What's the plan? Emailed 150 sports books around the world. Uh, and then within 48 hours I'd gotten a call from a friend of a friend who knew me and said did you email a guy in Jamaica for a job and I said I emailed a lot of places and he said if you want to go to Jamaica uh, I can get you a job there um, and so I checked had the call with the guy and he offered me uh, I think it was like 800 US dollars and I did a quick analysis and the, the US $800 for what? 800 a week to go and work in Jamaica. Oh, 800 a week. Yeah. Okay, I'm like, all right, well, it's still not that much yeah. money, right? I mean, I don't know, like, not to move <laughs> all the way around the world. Right. <laughs> so 800 a week, but the thing was, when I looked at it, that was like 2,000 Australian dollars a week because of the conversion rate. So I was probably yeah. earning that in Australia, and now suddenly I got a bump of two and a half times just on the exchange rate. Plus, it was Jamaica. I mean, I just thought it was weird. Yeah. Did you have a family yet? Were you married and have kids no, yet? No, I was uh, 100% single and ready to explore. But again, you just think Jamaica, palm trees, you know, reggae music, like, must be the greatest place on earth. Well, it's a little different, but... <laughs> I would say so, man, unless you're at the Ritz-Carlton or something, or if you're at one of the resorts, man, like, I don't know, you, you probably weren't at the resort the whole time. No, I just, again, <laughs> put in a, uh, at a hotel, and that's it, that's that's sort of where I started. And, and then, like, where did you, like, because I kind of know where you're at now, and I don't want to get to the end yet, I kind of want to build this story up a little bit, so you get to Jamaica... And, like, what was it like there? What's the Because I don't even know anything about Jamaica, really, other than it's a cool Caribbean island that tourists go on vacation at. You know, like, other than that, like, you know, like, they have, you know, sugar and, rum. and, and resorts. And rum. And rum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, like, what was, like, first of all, what was the culture like for you, like, going in, like, in Australia? I'm sure you grew up, you grew up pretty middle class, I would assume, yeah. right? Um, and then you're going to Jamaica where I'm thinking, like, it's either you're super rich or you're super poor in Jamaica, aren't you? Very much, yeah. There's, there's not a lot of middle. It's, again, a lot on the low end, a bit on the top end. Um, I mean, it was, it was interesting. I mean, I would go walking in areas that I found out later on I shouldn't have, but that's just the way I'd... You know, when I went to Thailand or India and that, I'd just walk. That was my thing. I'd get to somewhere and that's how I learned, you know, what the place was like and what like. Um, so I'd sort of walk. Um, I was doing kind of night shifts, so I'd just left Australia doing US sports, so I'm working overnights, races in the afternoon. Then I move across to the other side of the world, which if you get a globe and put your fingers on it, Jamaica and Australia are literally complete opposite sides of the world. Um, and then I'm doing European and Australian sports for the book there, so I'm then, again, working overnights. So I did, I mean, over the course of time, probably 10, 12, 15 years of overnights because, again, I was specialising in the sports on the opposite side of the world for books that didn't have that skill set, and that was sort of my edge as well while I was sort of building through this. And so were you just like, because I'm assuming back in the day, I mean, like the internet was still like, when did you move to Jamaica in 2000, End of 2001? 2000, yeah. And so, like, the internet, I mean, yeah, it was out there, but, I mean, people weren't placing bets online yet, uh, were they? Yeah. They, or was it, more like, was it more like a window and was, a phone? Like? There was mainly phone. There was some internet. So when I'd started in Australia in uh, 95, it was pencil and paper. Like, there was, there was yeah, sheets like, of paper like, like, all around the wall and on ledges, and you would go and you'd write in the bet and you'd calculate it so you knew the position and then someone would be entering the bets into like an Excel sheet or a, a program. Well then getting to um, Jamaica it was, it was, there was more internet stuff. Uh, late 90s uh, you started to get online a bit more, being able to bet. Who was the customer? Was it, was it tourists or was it people from around it the was world? Around, it was around Jamaica. the world. Um, so it was really just it was, an office? Yeah, correct. It was an office. It was just a business a, office. It, I mean, like, it, it was, was just a call like... call center, you know, 200 staff taking gotcha. calls, um, punching in the bets into the system. Um, and again, when I get to this side of the world, I'd pretty much worn out my welcome with all the sports books in Australia because, again, I was somewhat savvy on being able to find the weaknesses and taking odds from overnight sports in the US and betting into Australia and, and whatnot. So then I get over this side of the world, well now I've got another 50 to 100 sports books that I can start betting into. Um, and again... So you were really not only an employee, like then you were trying to like, as a consumer, like you were trying to hedge stuff and like, and like middle stuff. I was is straight that what, up... Is that I, what I'm following? You were trying to outsmart everybody? I was straight everybody? up gambling. I was going... Oh, was, gambling, but not really, just like... Taking some information and trying to use it, but like you were still taking shots. I was taking shots, shots right? yeah. There was bits of arbitraging again if the margin was big enough, but even when I was arbitraging, I was putting all the risk and exposure on one side. So I was like maybe covering a little bit to make my odds better on the side that I wanted to be on, but I was taking, you know, I was risking it as much as I could, as often as I could. Um, but you know the other side of it, though. You know the you know the people can never win, though, right? Like, you can't. It's not that you can never win. 
Like it's a it's well no not but not over a long period. It's of time. a very like, small percentage of people that can make money lifetime, uh, and it's even it's a lot harder now than what it was back then. Again, you had um, operations on both sides of the world and throwing Europe as well that weren't looking at each other's numbers. It wasn't like a shared universe. Yeah, they weren't. They, yeah, they weren't sharing information. To go fast. and find, you know, the price of gold or the price of an NFT or a price of this or that. Everybody was kind of in their own little bubble. And what I'd learned in Australia was there was a lot of Indians that would fly around the world betting on cricket and they had this massive advantage of knowing that the markets in London and the markets in Australia and the markets were in Asia were all completely different and they were betting to like 90% all day long. So they're just taking 10% out of, you know, they're making 10% earn every time they're throwing a dollar in because they're just taking the market and betting it to under 100%. Uh-huh. Um, so then, you know, I get to this side of the world, and I actually remember something specifically, was within the first month or two, I won a million dollars in one week. Australian. You did? Now, no, a million dollars Jamaican. Now, when you convert this, it doesn't sound as exciting because it was ended up like maybe 35, 40,000 Australian or US or whatever it was at the time. But it worked out that it was a million dollars Jamaican. So on Monday morning, I'm like, you know, pinging my buddy saying, hey, won a million dollars this week. <laughs> Which again, you know, the story uh, had a better headline than uh, the underling of it. But it, again, it was... So when you're in Jamaica, t- tell me like a good story. So tell me like the biggest, like, as a, not as on the worker side, because the worker side was probably pretty boring. Not boring, but like, you know, you're, you're, that was your job. But like when you were doing it on your own, that was a little bit more risky, right? Like when you So were... what I really learned was there was a couple of times where I decided to just try and do this, not work, and just bet, take bets, stuff like that. What I realized was I'm a lot better when I'm in an office and I'm forced to have that discipline and you get structure and you're getting all the information. So you've got true professional bettors that even back in the 90s were using uh, mathematical programs understanding so a big one to give a clarification in the NFL Um, years ago flying west to east for a 10am game was a huge edge because again it was literally like you know they were playing early in the morning so they hadn't woken up so much so the first half was a big edge betting the East Coast team on a 10 a.m. game when the West Coast team was flying in. And again, back then, they were probably flying in the night before, staying a night, you know, not adjusting, get out of the gate slow, and that was sort of a big edge. So these guys were doing this again 20, 25 years ago. So I was just watching them bet, take that information, and then just bet it in as many places as I could elsewhere because, again, they weren't adjusting the number. Did, did you follow handicappers and stuff? Like, I know that was a big deal back in the day. Like, where people would have these handicapping services. Where, like, I remember, do, do you, ah, this is crazy. Dom Best. Do you remember who Dom, Dom Best, Best is? Yes. Do you, you know him, probably, I, I know the right? Dom Best product, yes, for a very long time. But, like, I just remember that, like, from, like, I'm talking, what, what year am I in? 23? This had to be in 2000, 2001. Yeah. Like, this had to be in the early 2000s. I remember thinking me and my buddy were trying to like be smart right and we're like oh like you know if we go to the Don Best we can do that and they have these handicapper things and then you can get on a phone and then like do you remember that movie two for yes. the money 
like, like, did, were you like? Do you have any stories about any of that cool no, stuff? No, I mean, not so much. Um, there was one good one in Australia. Uh, again, like um, the MVP award, the bookmaker I was working for in Darwin, he was asked to come to this private event in Sydney, where again we'd offer odds um, on like the Aussie Rules MVP award. Uh, so we'd go to Sydney, and. Uh, you know, we'd meet with some of the customers. So there was this one customer that, you know, we were going to meet him. Um, pulled up in this, you know, he's had this old beat up car and he used to, you know, drive that around, whatnot, to do whatever he was doing. And he'd get to his house and then he opens up the garage and there's just brand new, you know, Benz, all these cars lined up. So we get in the car and we drive down to probably Coogee Beach or Bondi Beach or something and you know as we're getting out of the car um, you know say you know should we lock the car and he's like no don't worry about it they know whose car it is again I'm like 19 or 20 at the time you know that doesn't really uh, come to mind or anything I'm just thinking that's odd and then a few years ago a few years go by and I start to hear these stories about this guy and he, he I think at one stage he ended up in prison or something like that but it's kind of, you know, you come over this side, you start watching Sopranos and hear all these stories of these kind of things, and that's, you know, there was an underbelly culture there. And then in years gone by, there's been actually a series called Underbelly, which was done of Melbourne and Sydney and things like that. And as they're telling the stories, you're putting like, ah, I remember when that guy was betting, or ah, <laughs> you know stuff like that so again it's there is a a a seedy side to the business and an underbelly side of it um there's like that in any business though in any industry right that's the thing like sports betting in america just gets a bad rap right because we watch all those movies and stuff like you know but like then a guy like me though was a young kid like who was interested because that was like fascinating right and i remember when we would bet on games and then these handicapping services would be out there and they'd be like for 99 dollars call and we're going to give you the hot pick of the uh, the hot pick of the week well and as a kid i didn't really i just was like i just wanted the information right but then as i got older and more business savvy more marketing i realized that these handicapping services were just customer acquisition models to where if they got a thousand people to call that number, and let's just say they gave you a, a, the first play, didn't they didn't charge right. you for it? Well, they give half the customers the, the the Redskins and the other half the customers the Patriots. Well, they're going to get five hundred people that are going to be calling back, yes. paying for the next pick, right? Because they think they're so, on a heater, and then I, and then it just keeps going down their line to where like you can actually have a guy go nine and zero if you have a thousand yes. people because half of them you're just going to keep giving out half the winners. Correct, and it was. F- does that make sense, what I just said? I hope the listeners can pick up on that, because if you're not a sports better... No, but the funny thing is, what you just said was the actual truth behind it. Like, I didn't... Well, it has I mean, to be. Like, that's the only way to do it, systematically. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realize, but then, you know, as you go along, learn about these touts, and again, you're hearing the information, like, you know, does anyone really pay for this stuff? And then I went to work for a place, and they had, on, a, on the side, was... They yeah, had tout gigs. So they had the sports book... And then they had the tout service, and they were touting the winners, and then advertising their book as the place to bet. So when you do it, so you're double hitting in a sense. If you give thousand people five hundred one side, five hundred the other, 
So now they all come in and bet with you. So you take the juice, the ten percent off the top between those five hundred, mm-hmm. and then those five, the winning five hundred come back, and you do the same thing. So not only are you getting paid for that second wager, you're actually taking your vig off the top of the first wager, and then the cycle <laughs> just goes on. <laughs> it was like a Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme before Ponzi's were probably right. Like, so that's yeah, why you know like, these days on Twitter and a lot of those things, you have so many of these touts, and you know one of my goals is to kind of try and educate like people of if they're saying they're you know five and two or something like that make sure you've seen the other things posted before they actually the games are played because people will just pop up and say i'm 116 and 50 uh over the last 12 months or something yeah they give you like a you yeah. know yeah yeah it's all more it's all farce it's all a lot of false marketing right like that, because it's unregulated it's an industry that's really like you know handicapping services aren't really right. regulated i don't feel like you know, betting could be regulated, but the handicapping service definitely isn't regulating. It's like almost like it's the modern day to me. It's almost like with email automation and sequences and like that. And then you understand, like, if you have these thousand customers and you know, like, oh, you know, 500 of them just went oh and one. The other 500 went one and oh. But then the next, you know, then I have 250 customers that went two and oh. I got 500 customers that went one and one. I got 250 customers that went oh. You can just start sending them emails based on what happened right. to them. Speak right. right into them. And then give them, you know, give the people that have a, a losing record, give them some more shots and start the process. Right. Over. And again, even the ones that won and won, you know, well, they know that they could be two and one. No, so they're yeah, even buying they, it. Well, because they want to be optimistic. Yes. Yeah, they want to be optimistic. They have so much hope because they're degenerate sports bettors. That's why, like, they, you know, especially when you're calling, like, it's different when it's not fun anymore. Correct. Like, when it becomes like that, it's not, you know, it's not like you're going as a kid with your parents three hours to watch some horse races, eat a cool dinner, yep. and come back. And like, no, there's like super degenerates out there that cause a lot of cause a lot of issues. But what? Um, how'd you end up getting to Costa Rica from Jamaica? Um, so about, uh, I mean, Costa Rica was sort of a place where there was sports books that I'd bet with over the years. Um, you know, it. Yeah, that's like the modern. I mean, that's the place, isn't it? Costa Rica. Well, like it Mecca, was. Isn't it? I mean, it's not so much. There's not so much around these days, as far as I'm aware. But yeah, back in the day, it was kind of. Uh, Curacao, Antigua, and Costa Rica. Um, so about oh, about ten years ago now, I was applying to get a license in Jamaica to have a retail betting operation, and obviously I needed the software. So I sort of started to look around at different places, and then saw there was a place in Costa Rica that sold software. Seemed to be what I was looking for. Um, so I ended up flying over meeting with the software company. Now, when I met with the head of the software company, he sort of said, oh, would you like to meet, you know, three or four different people that, again, I'd known from the industry. Um, so I said, sure, you know. Uh, walked in to meet one of them. I think it was like the first week of NFL, uh, maybe like 2013 or something like that. Um, and sort of, you know, went into the office, met them, um, you know, conversation got to what was my account number they pull up my account number and then they start cussing and swearing at me of like oh you're one of those you know motherfucker you know it's just going on Uh, you're one of the sharps so then there was a couple of bets that i'd placed not long before that um there was one bet all throughout the caribbean and around the world they just got hammered so formula one racing uh, one February, a friend of mine called me up, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning. They're doing testing in Spain, and 
generally if you get the information and you know there was a one set of cars called the Braun that had Jensen Button as a driver and he was uh, 80 to 1 to win the drivers championship and Braun was 25 to 1 to win the constructors championship and he sort of said you know the testing is going insane they're blowing everyone off the track uh, you know they should be like two or three to one to win the constructors and maybe five to one to win the drivers so obviously I hit as many books as I can hit at the 80s and 25 so betting the max you know a thousand to win 80,000 a thousand to win 25 and then I'm obviously calling anyone I can call to get me a piece of that as well um, so it was you know industry-wide when they come out the gate they just won they were winning they got so far in front uh, midway through the season there was no chance that they were really going to lose. You know, We'd all do some hedging back to make sure we covered our risk and just had massive upsides. But any sports book you walked into in the offshore in the Caribbean area and mentioned that Formula One, that, they all just cringed. Because again, this isn't their bread and butter, the US sports and then... No, they don't right. know that stuff. They know the US sports but, and the major sports. But the sports, culture yeah. is, they want to put it all up. They copy some sports book in Europe or some sports book wherever down the road somebody doing it mm-hmm. so they all got hit with the same stuff um, so that you know there's a few of those over the years that are really uh, people don't know how to say no that's why those sports books they want to they want to take it all in because they're afraid their customer might lose like, right, right. or something yeah and again they wanted to yeah. offer this sort of broad stuff bottom line it doesn't really hurt them they still you know make good money and whatnot. but again there's just yeah. some of those sore points that they know they were caught sleeping um, they know that they didn't know it. And again, when you go through these places, they have guys that are really good at certain sports, but they don't have traders or risk management people that are really watching this other stuff that, you know, have any insight yeah. that... They need you to work so, for them. <laughs> hence, why well, I, <coughs> I came in, met with them, and then like the May, the following year, so we're talking September to May, I got a call saying, do you want to come over? Um... And it was kind of at a somewhat of a good time because I'd been closed down by so many sports books, I couldn't really bet. And when I came in and interviewed with them and spoke with them, um, you know, they they made it clear I couldn't bet with them, which was taking away one of my best places to bet. So then obviously whenever I got into the negotiations, it was, well, your company, if I don't work here, is worth this to me as a better. So, you know, I need to earn this. Um, so it was a it was a fair start, and then uh, it kind of just grew from there. Again, they had a very good client base that um, you know played the main sports, but had appetites for everything. And sort of from the year one, they were making you know anywhere from five to seven million GGR on the stuff that I did, and you know within five or six years, they were making nine figures a year on the stuff that I did and the team that we built out and, you know, automated a lot of the stuff and things like that. Um, so what's your what's your superpower in this in this industry? Is it like the technology side? Is it understanding the customer side and the bookie side? Is it like like what are you better at? Like what are you better at? Like are you better at like the business side of it or are you better at like finding like the like the hole somewhere and then like exploiting it and then like that's what makes you also good to have working right. on business so that's, side, that was right? that was exactly what it was it was from a long time I knew the global 
platform of sports betting. So I knew the weaknesses in all the different places. I knew that if I started betting at 11 p.m. local time for no matter where in the world, whether it was Australia, Costa Rica, England, no one was watching the lines. So then becoming the overnight, you know, building the overnight shifts for companies to reduce the leak, the leakage, you know, it worked out that, you know, money... Yeah, sharper the right, lines money, up, right? Money saved like. is money won. So one of my big things in the beginning was just saving a shit ton of money for places, finding their weaknesses and whatnot. And then on top of that, bringing better product, being more aggressive, taking bets and servicing the customers. So I sort of went from really concentrating on the betting side, understanding the strengths of on the bookmaking side, um, you know, personally blending those two things. I was making more money betting than booking, but the booking was where I was getting the information and the discipline by doing that. And that kind of... The booking's guaranteed money, though. Like, like no, guaranteed see, little, like guaranteed, like it's a, it's more of a grind though. I mean, it's, it's not a grind, but it's like, it's, it's more, um, it's more sustainable. Well, I for, feel like for it's, me, without as, without as much hard work correct. every so single day. Put it this way. You got 95% of the books make money and 5% go broke and lose it. 5% of the betters make money and 95% of them are going to lose it. So yeah, it's, you know, and, and you're right, you know, doing baseball or NBA, you know, become such... Tennis was something that I did for years in a row. And you literally got two or three weeks off a year. And some weeks the tournaments were on all corners of the earth, so you're literally 24 hours. And there'd be two, you know, three or four tournaments. And then you get the majors, which were 18, 20-hour days. Um, But again, I mean, from the age of 18 to, you know, probably 40... Um, I mean, twenty. How much sports did you watch, or how much was it just information from your buddies that you've met around? I watched. The world? A, I, like how much did you actually have to watch? Lot. It was. Eh. So it was both. Like you were looking at it from Correct. all sides. Like you were actually knowing the sports, you know the players, you know like. But then you also got people that got more connections. They're giving you yep. this information. You're taking a holistic approach. Wow, was there any type of um, what was like the worst or scariest thing? Did you ever have like all this like you know Jamaica, Curacao, Costa Rica? Did you ever get yourself in any sketchy situations, uh, man? Knockwood, no. Um, but the funny, not the funny thing, but about three months after I moved to Jamaica, I had a mate of mine come over. Very first day, he walks on an exact road that I'd work, walked night times, day times, you know, probably 50, 60 times over the first three months. He walks down to KFC, uh, get his chicken, and as he's walking back, he walked between a wall and a truck, and at the end of it, there was guys waiting for him, and then back behind him, guys were waiting for him. And they pulled out knives and, you know, took what he had, and, and then he walked up back up to the apartment, and he never been back to Jamaica since. Um, so again, you know, and you travel that same exact path, yeah. Many yeah. Times, and right? and even after that, again, same path back and forth. So you know, again, knock wood, it's uh, I've had it. You know, have you ever been screwed out of money? 
Like how? Like give me give me the biggest amount. Give me the biggest dollar amount. One transaction that you just got. Like somebody like owed you, and they just stiffed you, and you were never like it was just like it was a sad. No, situation. so there's, there's quite a few. I mean, I had a, a really good mate. I just want the worst, worst one. one. <laughs> well, the worst one, and dodging a bullet might be the same. So there was a company called Bet Camelot, uh, operated out of Kanawaki. Um, and the big thing with the offshore industry was you're always cautious going up to the Super Bowl when the Super Bowl was, because again, a lot of them would shut their doors after Super Bowl, take time off, um, or just go to March Madness, things like that. So when I first got to Curacao, it was right after the Rams uh, Patriots Super Bowl that the Patriots won. And a lot of books were in, a, it had been a really bad season. A lot of books were in trouble. So they jacked up the point spread and they jacked up the money line um, on the Patriots, plus 14 and a half, four and a half, five to one, stuff like that. It took massive exposure. Well, the Patriots win. These books can't pay. And some of the biggest books in the industry just disappeared. That was it. Freaking Tom Brady, man. Right. Lives. So I, I'd learnt that. So I knew to make sure all my balances were all drawn down. Even in, I'd start in November, December, making sure I didn't have much in January and then pull it down. So this book called Bet Camelot, um, you know, the owner and that, you could sort of see that he was, he felt sketchy. Um, emotional. He's an emotional <laughs> character. Uh, so I could sort of see that there was, you know, and there was a really easy book. It was easy to win at, and you'd just accumulate, and you'd get money, and then it was, you know, there was periods of slow paying over previous years. And I backed a guy, it was Yuri Novak or something, that 60s or 80s, and had big amount of money on him to win the Australian Open. And I had, you know, I might have had uh, a bit over 100,000 of them at the time, so again, I was trying to draw it down. Now, if Novak wins, then, you know, I've got half a million with them, and... Uh, a little nervous, you're not Yeah, so, so I'm hedging, anyway. I think he was in the final <laughs> against Agassi, so I'm hedging, but then if you hedge, and the other side wins, and then you don't get paid, and, you know, you... you oh, you get double, it's yes, like a double yes. loss, man. Like it's <laughs> so I was, I was very nervous, so thankfully, I did some hedging, the guy didn't win, again, you're cheering against winning six-figure numbers just because you're worried you're not going to get paid. And then, the <laughs> what kind of that's a, that's a great headline right, right there. So then, of course, the book went out of business. Um, you know, some places took over debts and did some deals and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it was really uh, that was that was one that really started pull back, keep balances low, concentrated on regulated books in the UK and Australia and stuff like that. Um, and that's. But the more regulated it is, the harder it is to take advantage of, of probably, right? Of course, yes. And then now it's... So then you know that. Though. You know that as, a, as as the guy. So you're willing to take that little bit Correct. of risk because you know like that's that's all part of the overall risk management for a guy like you that's really smart about, like, you know guys that might not pay, but, like, you know that, like, you got to figure out how to yeah. get it somewhere. Yeah, and, and right? I had one, actually, another one a few years ago. I backed uh, Anka Huber um, to win the Australian Open again at 40s. Uh, I think I might have had... Uh, like 2,500 on her uh, to win 100,000 and she won the event I expected to get paid and didn't get a penny um, so again it's it now what happens in this in this international world I mean like you, you probably like know I mean like would these guys just like do they go on the run like no, do they the, like no that's the, never... the one thing about some of them is they just 
not going to pay. What are you going to do? Like they're, it's yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Tony Soprano died <laughs> a long time ago. So yeah. again, it's and you got and you got and you got, and you got fifty thousand other bets, and you get, you ain't got time to go worry about that guy because you still got your main thing right. going. Right. So again, it's it's it can be a difficult at times. I mean, you know, in my early twenties, I mean, I had a couple of times where I went bust. Uh, one was purely my own fault. You know, back too many losers in a row. Uh, another one was again place didn't pay and I'd done some hedging and whatnot and th- but again this was when I was early 20s and my exposure was maybe yeah, 20 30,000 something like that to bust me out uh, and then I got to a point where it was just you know certain risks weren't worth taking um, just building it up and whatnot. But you're only making 800 bucks a week dude in Jamaica I mean so like I don't know like you know like you, you must have been pretty good at this to be able to like run up 100,000 200,000 a million couple you know like you, you obviously know how to like get that money going in your direction. yeah and again I mean so most people when they talk about betting they're trying to win like 53% of the time my lifetime strike rate is mm-hmm. probably 25-30% because I used to bet on futures you know, 40, 50 to one shots. So I'm a whole, I'm, again, I'm a horse race better. So I'm looking at eight to ones, 10 to ones, 12 to ones, 40 to ones. I'm not backing even monies. And, and. Yeah, you like the, you like, you like the, you, you want to pick, you want to pick that under. Correct. So that's why, you know, I got to a point once I learned about Vegas, I was flying up there five or six times a year. I'd, I'd arrive day one, I'd walk to all the sports books, get all their papers. Uh, again, no apps, no internet then. You just, you know, go to the paper. <laughs> You had to wait in line. You had to wait in line. Get their papers. I'd go back to the hotel. I'd compare it against Betfair and other global sports books. Um, I'd circle everything I want, and I'd fill the backpack with cash, and I'd go out the next day and place my bets, and then I'd get the sheets again with the updates, and I'd go around the next day and do it again, and then I'd go back. I'd go back to Jamaica. That's work, brother. I'd go back to Jamaica, and then depending on how the results went, I'd fly up and then I'd, you know, collect. What's the most cash you ever left Las Vegas with at one time in, in a bag? Well, I never left Las Vegas with the cash because I always had I had bank accounts, so I would deposit it or I'd leave it oh, okay. somewhere. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Well, that's no fun if they're just wiring money. Like that's, you know, I'm talking like I want the brown <laughs> bag of money, bro. Yeah. One time I left Vegas with ninety thousand cash, and I thought I was like, "Wow, that's good." I mean, I was yeah, a craps not many that leave Vegas I, well, with I was cash. A cra- I was a craps. I was a craps. I was a craps player. Yeah, it was it was a craps player back in the day, and uh, I went on a heater, and that was that was a lot of cash, and uh, that was interesting. I remember the people at the at the airline was like, because you know I had to run it through the scanner, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know, like they just. They handed this to me because I bet with cash, or they paid me right, back right. cash. <laughs> so that was a little awkward, but that's cool. So we don't have a ton of time left, but I want to know what are you doing now in the sports betting community in the world? I know you're in Costa Rica now. Like I know that you've been talking about some of this in our, you know, our NFT space and V friends and stuff like that, where I've gotten to know you. But like, what's the future look like for sports betting? What is your role in it? What are you trying to accomplish? What can you share with us? Yeah, well, after doing the bookmaking and the betting side of it uh, as I said come over here looking for technology uh, met a guy that had some um, and then Pasper the US had sort of opened up so I spoke to him about developing his software to the level that could get certified and licensed 
uh, and we're kind of on the precipice of that now of looking at both uh, Ohio and New Jersey to go live this summer. Um, again, a lot of it is, you know, although it's a small niche, there's a lot of people that are getting limited, that shouldn't get limited, that are just, you know, uh, recreational players but might go on a heater and then DraftKings fans will shut them down or limit them to small amounts. Um, but even the professional of professionals, I mean, you know, people could have, and I did relationships with books, of just give me a fair limit, I'll bet with you, you'll have the information, now go use that information to make your number stronger. Um, and that's kind of all it really is, is take a bet, move the number, take another bet, move the number, and you go up and down all day long. Um, yeah, it's like you're. It's like you literally like you're a bank. I mean, you're literally just like you're. You're like the Federal Reserve, I guess, in America, where like you're just kind of balancing the outside edges, and you're just trying to play the middle. Right, bank. that's the idea. Now, it never really happens like that. You always need one side. Well, of course not, because there's <laughs> freaking a thousand games, and I'm live betting, dude. It's like every swing. I don't even know how they put live. At, I would love. Like, I could do a whole other podcast. I'm like. Before they swing the next tennis thing, like how do they like say like oh who's going to win that point? Like it's like crazy to me that they can be caught. Somebody can be sitting there constantly. No, so the, it's all automated these days. I mean, you've got people have developed their algorithms. They're using the debt. They've That's used their data. Um, and then when a point's won, they reprice the game, the set, the. So it's already kind of set ahead of time with the AI and the and the and the and the computer and stuff like that. It's not like there's someone there like watching. There's not someone in charge of that match saying, "Here, right, you know what? This is a uh, 200 or plus 200, plus 250." Right. Gen- generally, no, that's not the case. Now, on so the Masters weekend that just passed, yes, I was watching the every ball in the air and changing the odds as it went along. And again, so it, there is still some manual effort to it for people that you know again have a liquidity willing to put their nose out there and take a bet um, but yeah generally it's all automated these days what's so fast I can't I gotta come hang out with you for a week I just want to see what it's like behind the behind the scenes so would you say that you're more in the tech the tech side so of things now, now probably, I'm right? building the software in the middle to blend the other two worlds together um, and it was funny I was at a conference last year and I was on a panel and they're all talking about their problems uh, people are asking them questions and they keep blaming the tech and I'm like well I guess I made the right decision getting into tech because again most of the times it's not the tech problem it's who's driving the tech but mm-hmm. but again owning your own tech and o- owning the value chain is just so valuable because again when you need to pivot and you need to make changes you own you know what you're sitting on whereas a lot of in this industry a lot of the people the operators don't own their tech, so they're sitting on a third-party software that then they're at the mercy yeah, about. They're handcuffed. Right. So again, I'm learning different aspects of the industry that you know I had no idea about. What about on the customer acquisition side? Like you say, you want to open up in Ohio and New Jersey, and that's cool, and like you can be the behind-the-scenes tech guy. But like, how who, who's in charge of marketing and getting the customers, and how do you how do you beat out a company like DraftKings? So that's that's the big challenge ahead. Um, a lot of it is again. You know, the operator have their ideas. I think, again, uh, old-fashioned, hand-to-hand, uh, ground warfare kind of, you know, find them on Twitter, find them wherever. Um, find the influencers. Right, find a 1,000 customers, then find another 1,000, and then build it up from there. And, again, it's just the culture of, uh, you know, one of the things I'd always said, um, me and a mate, when we were sort of having ideas of trying to go to the U.S. and things like that, 
It's just bringing the offshore home. So regulating the unregulated. Yes, you've got the ones that are up there now and they're giving away more money than they're making at times. Um, so that'll slow down. But you have a lot of people that still bet with their neighborhood bookie or bet offshore or bet stuff oh, like yeah. that. So again, the idea is to regulate the unregulated portion first and then, you know, chip away at the others. But, you know. We still have we still have old guys, old Italian guys in Pittsburgh. I'm, I swear to you, they still play the three-digit. They still play the three. People come and play the three-digit right. number with them. I kid you not. They pay out 10% more than the state does. I think the state of Pennsylvania pays half the money back out for the three digit they give you like 60 they give you 60 percent back and like people yeah, love it <laughs> that, i mean that, that's that's the world over and they're and they're, and they're probably making five ten grand a week ten ten grand a month dude they're, they're they're living life man like they're just there's a bunch of that happening still so there's still a ton of market and, and that, share out there it, correct and that's it and a lot of it's loyalty again you know i've read but there's most people have four to five uh sports books apps so again just make me number three and compare same as if you go into shop for milk or shop for a car or whatever else and then just my favorite is when you try to collect money off those sites like they make it they make it so easy to deposit they make it yeah. so impossible to collect <laughs> if you can change that so, you can change a lot of so the problems that's like. probably one of the money in money out's the number one priority and again paying people as quickly as you humanly possible can is the number one thing you should be doing in this business it's a service business that's it all you are is, but doesn't the government get in the way with that with all no. the red tape? Like, like, and, and so that's all just like that's the company just trying to hold yes. it up so that way they can keep your money in that bank. Yes, because they think you're either going to lose it or you know. Well, I remember, man, Bet US. You remember Bet US back in the, like I don't. They probably still they probably still send me a magazine. I don't even know if I'm on their mailing list anymore. But they would literally take like a week to process your withdrawal. And by the time they, they would have it ready to go, you'd be ready to bet again. You'd be like, oh, I'll just keep it in there. And then, like, you would never actually ever get your money. <laughs> and, ever. and again, that was just an like operational that. ploy of, you know, keep it in. So that had nothing to do, that has nothing to do with, like, bigger regulation. No. That just has, that's an Pure, operational purely, ploy to dig, attack you Purely operational. And again, that's sort of the. Wow. That is probably one of the number one priorities that with our operator that's coming in. We've said, you know. Get all the processing tools that you have and pay out this stuff as quickly as possible, even if it means paying out on a Saturday or a Sunday, whatever you can do. I mean, yeah, like let them collect that money whenever they want. Like, who cares? Because, I mean, like, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. All right, a couple other things I want to get into. First of all, how'd you get in the Gary V like, vortex? I want to know that story because, you know, you're an Australian guy, you know, Jamaican guy. Like, where'd you, where'd you start listening to Gary so V? So my at? son, who's now 20, I'm guessing, I think it was 2017, Oh, you're getting old, bro. <laughs> Six kids. I mean, they're running me ragged. Um, so about, it was about 2017. So for, for my kids, forever and ever, I've and much to their mother's disdain, I've said, screw school, doesn't matter. It's not, you know, the future of anything. Just go, show up, do what you need to do, learn what you need to do, stuff like that. Um, and again, no university, don't bother, go do something else, you know, become a tradesman or... or all that kind of stuff. Again, much to the disdain of their mothers. And then my son sends me this thing. This guy on, uh, I can't remember who he was speaking to, saying, the school system sucks, this sucks, that sucks, this... And then from then on, you know, that one video leads to another video, leads to another video, leads to, you know, the... the You're like, this, this is my guy! The deep world of whatnot. Um, and I think the biggest thing that resonates with me 
is again I didn't much care for people I was just in my tunnel I was betting I was this you know I you know um I wasn't very empathetic I wasn't you know a lot of these traits that he's really pushing and then hearing that and then again you get it from him and then you get it from a few other sources and it just collates and and builds in you um but one thing that I have sort of really believed in is the karma aspect of again never not paid anyone I've been not paid many times uh not you know it's an industry that people regularly screw other other people that's not something that I've looked to do um so then I've sort of you know and I feel like I'm coming into the the circle where again things have gone well things are moving forward you know you're already wait already sort of uh looking for the other shoe to drop but I think again what you put out there in turn eventually no you know it might take 20 years 30 years but we'll come back um so that's sort of part of it that really resonated and then you know getting my hands on the keynote koala um and so let's just tell everybody what that is cuz most of my people probably you know they hear me talk about Gary V NFTs they know Gary V a little bit more than they know NFTs that's a whole another right. world like a deeper world that you know they don't even associate with so the keynote koala for everybody listening Um it's kind of similar to our hangout hawk. Me and Adam both have a hangout hawk where we get to do like the an hour like every other month with Gary V and like ask him questions. But a keynote koala is where when Gary's having a keynote anywhere in the world, if you have a keynote koala, you can just like show up and hang out in the green yeah. room with him, right? And tell us a little bit more about your experience so far. What's yeah, it been so, like? Yeah, so I mean, I'd gotten that just before Vcon. Uh so they gave me access to him at Vcon, which obviously is run around like a headless chicken and got a shit ton of done. but he took the time to sit and speak you know have back and forth conversations um and then from there uh I went to one in Germany I happened to be in Europe uh meeting with the tech team and he was in Cologne so I flew in there um you know again in the gr- How do you redeem it? Like do they give you an email and say like hey he's going to be so here he, if you want to go? Like cuz I mean yeah. obviously you guys can't all be Right. He has his um website that he has the events and you know as he said in the last hangout hawk years ago he was doing 100 speaking events which would have been, you know, insane to try and keep up and do everything. Now again last year he did a few this year I think he's only doing 6 or 7. Um which, you know, some may think that that diminishes the value of what the token does. But you know, I went to Cologne. I was in the green. Yeah, you can't be in that. You don't even want to be in that many places. You got, you got, you got right, life but, too, man. You know, you go in the green room, and then that sort of goes out to him taking photos with people and speaking to people, and then ended up in a car with uh, him and um, a couple of his guys, and sort of heading to a hangout Hawks German uh, a V friends um, catch up in Germany. So now I'm meeting another seventy oh, or eighty cool. V friends people. and then you know they go from there and then recently up cuz you got you got a gift code you got a gift code correct too, so yeah right? we, we did the Atlanta thing event. and then i just did another keynote in Naples Florida um where again you know seen him before it and then hang out in the room after it and then you know do you have to like do you just like send an email and say hey i can make it yeah, and so, like so they ask for 30 or? days in advance for notice that you can make it um So again, you know, I'm sort of watching and and keeping up with it. Um they've got someone really good in charge of it right now who's very good at the correspondence back and forth. Um Yeah, the experienced person, right. sure, right? Like Yeah, it, so it, so again yeah. it was 
Was it that one lady? Was it the lady that started at the Atlanta event? I'm not sure what she did or what she was, but uh, I can't. Yeah, I can't remember her name, but yeah, they're definitely running things better. Do you? Um, how many keynote koalas are there? Is it just I one think or is five, there five? But I think you might still have a couple. I've only met. I've only met. So, like, have you met, met any other? other um, a guy named Mike, which I met at VCon last year, and then he was at Atlanta for the gift goat thing. Um, so again, it's. How much was that token? Uh, I can't remember what ETH was worth at the time, but I think I paid about... Four, well, ETH, did you no, buy it at Mint? No, I didn't. So uh, it, was, it was a little bit more expensive. Oh, I'm just trying... Well, no, when, it, when ETH was like $4,000 at Mint, but like depending on when you got it, you, you said you bought it right before yeah, ETH so got last year? ETH might have been in the twos. Yeah, it right. dropped a little bit. So like, how much U.S. dollars did uh, you get I think it was about 80 Wow. I wish I would have bought that one. See, I spent 125 grand on my second hangout hawk, like a dummy. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a dummy. I'm still, listen, I told Gary the other day, I said, you know what? I said, I've been able to give that away. I said, I've gotten so much joy out of giving that second hawk away, and I've actually made business connections and more friends, and, like, it's it's been, I'll, I'll reap that, like you said, 20 years down the road. Like, I'll, that's the gift that keeps on giving. Nobody Correct, and I that. think the biggest thing for me, again, is, I mean, you know, spending time with him and, realizing the how genuine like one i mean how the fuck he remembers people is beyond me i mean names and faces and stuff dude he makes me feel like a king every time we right. chat man i don't know how uh, he does it <laughs> but again I, I think genuinely he him and a few others that i have around me have just gotten me into a much calmer place which you need to be once you get into this sort of high stress business of you know software development and now going out to regulatory and launching and stuff like that so I think that's been the biggest value to me is just uh, the calming aspect and, again, you know, being somewhat kinder and more mindful of everything that you do. How big's his team? Like, when he's in Germany, how many people is he rolling around? Uh, he, there were some local people, but he had three or four of them. It was only, yeah. That's it, right? Like, I'm assuming you don't take that big, that many yep. people with him. That's, and you, do you get to sit for like front row? Do you get like a seat like at the actual event? Well, you, speaks, yes. Or like well, you're just hanging out in the green room No, the a lot time, of the time or? I'm like on the side of the stage or at the back or around the front. Depend- just part of like, his, just like one of his friends hanging right. out, right? Like- That's pretty much what it is. I mean, he walks in, you jump in <laughs> the back of the posse, and then you follow him into his room, and then you follow for the room to the speaker, and then you see him get mic'd up and uh, behind the scenes, and then he walks out the front. And then when it's wrapping up, you go, you know, the rest of the crew, the videographers, you head around the back again, back in the green room. And then generally he's there for probably another hour doing photos, questions, autographs, everything else. Uh, and again, just, you know, speaking to different people on his team, uh, listen to him speak. I mean, again, and that's probably one of the, again, another big thing is as we go into customer acquisition, it's just spending time with people whether they, you need to teach them how to bet, mm-hmm. whether you want to, they just want to shoot the shit. Um, you know, one of the th- things I've been yeah. really good at, I think, over the years is I considered a Jamaican racetrack drinking a red stripe uh, with a guy betting 50 cents or a dollar. And I've been on tables and to dinners where guys are betting high six, low seven figures uh, on different things, whether poker games and stuff like that. Hanging out with the Asians, betting pie gal, a million dollars right. a hand. So again, I think uh, I've, I resonate or I don't, you know, judge or anything like that. Again, uh, you know, 
because I was that fifty cent better. What's well, a testament to like who you are and where you came from? Right. That's all. And again, everyone starts like, out as a fifty you know, cent it's better. Same thing with Gary. So it's you know. Yeah. I started out two dollars. I took a two. I took two dollars right out of like a, the the pool. I had one hundred twenty eight bucks. I paid out on. Yeah. I felt like I was stealing. <laughs> I paid twenty eight bucks. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I don't even think the kids know. They know now if they listen to the podcast. <laughs> they probably thought I paid out all the winners right, or course. something. I don't know. Um, that's so fascinating. So how many more? Do you get the keynote qual? Is that like, does that go through like next yep. year then to like the end of Correct. Econ next so it's year? it's the same three years as the Hangout Hawk and all the other tokens. Um, so you've got the rest of this year. I didn't go to Dubai. I, I got tied up in March. But I, I, I was targeting it at one point to go to the keynote in Dubai, but passed on that. Are you allowed to get? Are you allowed to gift it to somebody yeah, else so or not? Yeah, so he was going to Australia last year that he ended up cancelling, uh, and I'd planned to give it to my son who's down there doing university at the moment. Uh, so he's heading to us. Oh, his mom talked him into doing university. So well, huh? he went back down there to year twelve and ended up at university. Yeah, um, doing some computer stuff and now business admin. But with him. He'll, he'll be back with Dad right. here before with, you know with it. With Gary heading down there again in August, uh, I'll probably try and arrange something where, where Brandon can go and do it instead of me. Um, and then I'll sort of see where else he comes. I've got no word yet on what access we'll get at VCon. Uh, again, you know, I, even going into it last year, you know, I kind of felt bad sort of going in and taking up any time because it was just, it's madness. It's VCon year one, whatnot. Yeah, but, you're but just the watching. Fact that he took the time and then you know and I went in each of the days of the morning uh, so I got time you know day one meeting him and then you know day two again follow up and and whatnot so um, yeah I mean it's 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 been a great experience see if you can bring the see if you can here I can be your content team and see if you're allowed to bring your own content team and I'll bring my video crews and we'll just we'll we'll document your keynote koalas your experience at VCon okay I'll hit him up and ask him See if you can make see if you can make that happen because then you can get either of those. Pay. I, I see. Last year I had to sneak. Last year I had to go back. I found another influencer to do content right. for him, and I was able to like wiggle my way in the backstage, and I got to hang out and do all that right, stuff right. anyway. <laughs> but I kind of like rather do it like on the up and up kind of. I don't know. Like I feel like I'm too old to be sneaking around <laughs> and, uh, and getting myself in the. But like at this at this point though with V friends, I feel like I know so many people anyway. I feel like they they just, they just assume I'm supposed to be a back. Right. I, I mean know, that's I mean that's been the other likes. aspect of it. I mean meeting so many different people that have all different uh, do so many different things. Uh, and, yeah, we all have our own right, superpowers. Right. So that's that's the big advantage I think as everything goes forward. And again, you know, when on the hangout hawk the other day was just really saying. If there's anyone in New Jersey or Ohio that has a small business, you know, hit me up because that's kind of the idea of of going small, sport whether you have a sports bar or a golf range or whatever, um, just trying to do something to. So I'm your guy. So I'm not your guy necessarily. Like, uh, like I live in Pennsylvania now, but like I'm from right. Ohio, Canton, Ohio, where the Pro Football okay. Hall of Fame is. And so, like, I got, you know, connections there. I got connections in New Jersey. I'm in Pennsylvania. It's probably going to be the last state you're going to probably be Well, yeah, Pennsylvania like, is you know. not on the radar just because of their tax rate is just insane. Yeah, dude, it's How, awful. Right. It's awful. However, it's awful. Get, I want to move to Costa Rica. However, I am looking at Maryland. There's a place called Hagerstown. Uh, Hagerstown, Maryland, baby. Oh, yeah, that's only two hours so away, I'm, man. I'm having a conversation with them. So, you know, hopefully I'm up that way in 
Just here, you can just send me in as your double. I'll, I'll get, I'll get. Listen, I got my hair. I'm not. I got a little bit darker hair than you. You got that dusty blonde going. I said, but I feel like I could pass okay. for you, right? Like, yeah, there you we go. Could, like, yeah, I could be like your mini me, and you can just send me in on these meetings in Ohio, Jersey, Pennsylvania, <laughs> Maryland. I can. Now I'm not going to be able to talk like you know Australian rugby or soccer or anything like that, but I can tell. I can. I can deal with the American sports. Well, there you go. I mean, Pennsylvania is right. It's all about service and it's all about the service 100%. anyway right that's all it is is just listen yeah. and, and taking and taking some of that barstool money yeah i'd like to do that yeah there's a little <laughs> you gotta start you gotta start small and you just gotta work it you gotta work it up um but customer acquisition is going to be your thing because I, I know that i'm confident that you got the tech and you know the operation side of it 100 but that's, like you know, that's getting... purely what it is and again my goal is just to go in um i think you know the biggest sporting event ever in the U.S. will be in 2026, and so we've got you know a three-year runway to just see what we can do before then. What is that? Is that it's a World, World Cup? Cup in Mexico, Canada, and the U.S.? It'll be literally like having anywhere between 84 and 100 Super Bowls in the space of 30 to 40 days. Um, yeah, we don't even know what that is. Uh, so like, like, uh, like, but we will by correct. then, won't we? And, and again, I, I think it'll be. You like, will all look at soccer very differently. Or football, as I'm always told, it is. Well, I watch the world. I watch the final match every year. I mean, every four years. Whenever it comes on, I watch and I try to pretend. I'm like, oh! <laughs> but like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just one of those guys that try to fit in with you know, like, because like in America, man, like it's so Americanized. Like we don't like we don't we don't really the, know what's happening the around. Best the world, line man. in America is totally Americanized. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better. They just think they've got their narrow. Yeah, you know, see? this is what it is. We're, we're the yeah, world no, champions I, I, in everything that we play right here, although we haven't taken it, you know, anywhere yeah. else. But yeah, yeah, we can't play soccer with a lick. So I mean, no. The, the, the one I, good thing is you had a very young team. You went in with a very young team this time. Give them another four years, and you know, you get free entry into the event. So you're definitely going to be there. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think they'll actually make a run uh, next time around, which. Is that going to be like? I'm assuming it's going to be in like the LA, the new it's, LA stadium. It's in, I don't. Yeah. I don't follow any of this. It's in so seven really or eight states. I know Dallas have some, Philly have some, uh, LA. But where's like the big final match going to be? It's probably going to be in that new LA. Stadium, I'm not actually right? sure where the final is. I'd have to. T- Nobody probably knows they, they, yet. Who, who cares? All you want to do is that you just want to be there with your pencil in your ear, collecting as many bets as possible. It's actually the, the. This is what I run by the the. Four, the four colored pen is, I've always got this in my shirt. You still got one of those from 1986. Yep. I found a place uh, in Costa Rica, actually, and I walked in and I found it at Officeworks, and I just scraped them all off the shelf, and literally every day, the first thing I do is when I put on my shirt, I put in the pen, and I'm good to go. Man, listen, this has been a great conversation. I, 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 I had a I great time. This was... This was fun. I can't wait to see it in a month of VCon. Um, I'll have to. Uh, I think we're both staying at the same hotel. That'll be good. You come to the. Do you come to the little hawk meetup that Laura What's set that? up? Yes. The hangout yes. hawk party that I, we set up. The, I already the little have my thing, ticket yeah. for that. I didn't go to the last one. I don't know if I come in later. I had something else on, but I missed. Yeah, that was the party. That was that was that was a big blowout, man. Like we had. Yeah, I missed was, that one. So I'm definitely was, on for this a, one. Uh, and then I just saw. I just saw we cool. have a, a goat. Uh, event on the the last day of the event as well i don't like that channel man i i, I cannot go in there and listen to all that negativity that happens in that i, I haven't channel. been in there i i hear bits and pieces yeah don't and... go don't go 
Yeah, don't go in there. You should just get my just get my. Uh, I'll, give, I'll give you my cell phone number after we hang up, and that would mean you can just text through that. Because like going into that disc, going into that Gifco Discord. Yeah. I channel, mean, I. And I'm sure everybody. I just lost all my viewers right now. They're like, "What is he talking about? Gifco <laughs> and like spectac? Do you have Do you have any spectaculars? Uh, yes, I have. No, I don't. I think I have the epic or something. So yeah, you need to get a spec. You need to get a spec because then you could be in the cool club of Gifco, Hangout Hawk, and Spec. And there's only like there's only like ten of us that have okay. that. Okay. Well, I, so like you gotta go you gotta go buy a spec. You gotta go buy a V V one spec. Um, I've seen a few of them yeah, popping should, up for a fairly be, fair price. Oh, well, yeah. you get a cheap list. <laughs> wow, everything's fair. Everything's fair compared to what me and you got. It. Right, Come right. on, man. All right. Well, listen. How can, can are you on social media at all? Like you're on, on Twitter. Twitter right? I'm at Adam Beyond too. Um, that's where I've sort of been doing most of my stuff. Now I'm trying to... Uh, so, you know, I hang out with Gary a few times and it's the same old, same old. And I keep hearing the just start. So now I'm sort of just starting to spread out into... You just... Here, I want to help you with that. You, like... Because I, I, I tend to be in that world a little bit more. Like that, like, yep. content creation. Get yourself yep. out there, right? Help market you. Like, I can, I can help that. That would right. be fun for me. I like... I'd actually rather shine a light on you than me, Perfect. so... Let's do it. Let's do it, baby. All right. Well, listen, this is if you guys got value out of this podcast, any questions that you have about sports betting or anything like that, maybe you can send us a winner. Who's going to, like, can you give us a winner of, like, the next oh, big Jesus, event? I don't, what is coming up? I know. I don't know. Give me, some, give me something like in, uh, who's going to win the NBA finals? So I'm on, uh, or the NHL? I'm on Denver in the uh, NBA. I, I hadn't played all year, and I got on them recently, so that's sort of who I'm riding in the NBA. Uh, NHL, I... What about hockey? hockey? I, I have not looked at. Usually that's something I'm all over and I haven't uh, got at it this year. Even the Kentucky Derby, which I'm actually attending this time, first time ever. I've watched it for 30-odd years. Um, I haven't even done my form on that, and usually I've had at least half a dozen bets uh, before we even get to this stage. So building this software in the middle is... Well, just watch whatever the public does. Watch whatever the public does. You probably have you probably have access to like all your favorite bettors who do really well, and you probably already know who they are. I was going to do see who they're betting, and you can just triple well, up. Well, again, it, it all comes down to the numbers. We'll, I'll see what the odds are on race day, and I'll find, I'll find my rich strike kind of horse that's you know 40s or 50s mm. or a good price, and I'll throw something on it. And Actually, if they make it, I'll be making a Japanese exacta trifecta at the Kentucky Derby. So I had a big score on two Japanese horses in a big Australian race about 15, 20 years ago. And I did notice two Japanese horses had qualified for the Kentucky Derby. Uh, so just my throwaway bet will be a Japanese exacta uh, reminiscing about the time I hit it. I think it was in the Caulfield Cup again a long time ago. So you got to do it for you listeners at home that don't know horse racing. You got to do an exact box that way. If it comes in one two, it doesn't really matter which one. Just bet both Japanese horses. You heard it right here on the Big Fish Cares <laughs> podcast. If it's a winner, I want ten percent, and we'll we'll donate half of it to a charity, and then the other half will go to me and Adam's party at VCon. So thanks for listening. Have a great week, everybody. We'll be back next Friday for another edition of the Big Fish Cares podcast. Thank you for listening to the Big Fish Cares podcast. It's our passion to help share stories and journeys, to help inspire optimism, to take action and accomplish your goals. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on the website at www.thebigfishcares.com.
Find us on Facebook at The Big Fish Cares and on Instagram at bigfish.benny. See you next time.